Riverside Community Church, everyone. Um, I want to start off speaking of children. I want to speak off speaking of children because last week, uh, my wife and my daughter and I went really far away on vacation. We went to uh, Lancaster, PA, and uh, and so there was a time. My daughter now is almost three, and and I'm learning a lot about parenting. And one of the things I'm learning is, man, they hit a certain age and they just start talking back to you, and uh, and I don't care what you try to do, it's almost something in them that they just start mouthing off to you. And so there was one particular incident where my daughter now says, no, and she points her finger. And so, of course, we put her in timeout. And so she goes upstairs and goes to the bedroom. And she's crying while she's in timeout. And I can't help but think, while she was in timeout, um, my heart was breaking for her. Like, I knew that we have to discipline her and she needs to go in time because she needs to know that she can't do that. But yet while she's there and while she's crying, I can feel my heart breaking for her because all I want to do is give her a hug. And, uh, and I can't help but think that that's the same way that we are with God, is that God disciplines us and, uh, and God judges us, but he does it because he, he loves us. And you see his love in the midst of that too. And so I think one of the things that we struggle with when we read the Bible, and you ask a lot of people, is there's a struggle between the God of the Old Testament who they believe is vengeful and wrathful, and they look at the God of the New Testament as one of love. But the question is this, and as we continue to walk through this series in Genesis, what do you do when your creation the people that you've created for a love relationship have now turned away from you. They've walked away from you. They want to live life apart from you. They believe that they can find life in everything but you. And to the point nowadays where people don't even acknowledge that God exists. The very God who created them, they don't even acknowledge that he exists. They've deliberately disobeyed you. What do you do when you're a God and you see your creation walking a path to their own destruction? What do you do? You know, you think about it and uh, you think about what would it be like if you were going to a doctor and you were diagnosed with cancer and all the doctor did was give you a hug and some aspirin and tell you it's going to be okay. How would you feel? And so there's a part of this in which we see God and we see what God does in his judgment. That's a loving thing to do. And we're going to look at that today. That judgment is from his love. It is from his love. The loving thing to do is you don't leave people where they are in their sin. You have to hold them accountable for what they've done. And what we're going to see, and the main idea of today's sermon, is that we see God's mercy in the midst of his judgment. God's mercy in the midst of his judgment. I call this sermon justice or love. Which one wins? Which one wins? And we're going to see that both are tied together. And so we're going to continue today in Genesis 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 24. Genesis 3 verses 14 through 24. We have Bibles up front. Anybody needs Bibles? We'll have it on the screen also. Genesis 3, 14 through 24. And I want to start with the first few verses, and it says this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then he says to the woman, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree in which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so if you were here last week, you heard Dave Edwards preach about the fall, right? Dave preached about the fall, and Dave gets on me a lot because I gave him that particular passage about the fall. So, but uh, that's what we saw last week. And then now what God does is God now goes and he judges three people. The first one he judges is who? Satan. And what he says to Satan is what? On your belly you shall go and eat dust all the days of your life. It symbolizes humiliation forever. You are going to be in humiliation forever. And when he says cursed, it means your power is broken. Satan's power is broken. Humiliation forever. Now the question is, how is this humiliation going to happen? And so he goes a little further and he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What he's literally telling Satan is, I am now declaring war between you and your offspring and the woman and her offspring. And so what the tension that we see in the Bible, when we continue forth in the Bible, you begin to see two separate groups of people. Those who are in God's community and those who are not part of God's community. And you see this divide. This is where you see the divide in the very beginning. He's going to put enmity between the two. You guys wanted to make friends with one another. Now you're going to have enmity between the two. And it's going to be your seed against her seed. And you see that tension. God's plan of redemption is now in place. Because what he said is, the one who is going to come from her seed, he's going to crush your head. He is going to defeat you. And in the process, you're going to bruise his heel. Which means he's going to get hurt and suffer in the process. But ultimately, he's going to crush your head. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about it from the very beginning who was to come. That's the story of the Bible. And so anybody who thinks the Bible is about rules and regulations and how to live a good life, you don't get it. The Bible is the story that follows this. Of God saying, I have planned this. And there's one that's coming from her seed that's ultimately going to crush you. But he is going to be hurt in the process. This is the ultimate love story. The last several weeks we've been seeing what was gone. The relationship that was gone. And God has now put the steps in place to get it back. And there's someone that he's bringing 
through her lineage and through her seed to bring us back. And so he pronounces judgment on Satan. And then he turns to the woman and said, now what's going to happen with you? There's going to be frustration in her relationships at home. Number one, there's going to be pain in childbearing. You're going to have pain in child. Can, any, can anybody here vouch for that right now? Right? I'll tell you, I, uh, a couple, was it like a year ago, my daughter was waving her arms and she scratched me on my eye and I had a scratch cornea. And so my wife always makes fun of me. She's always like, oh, you big baby. And so at like two o'clock in the morning, I went to the uh, emergency room and, and got stuff taken care of. And then so I, they were like, I need you to go to the uh, eye doctor a couple days later. So I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor was like, yeah, it's a pretty painful thing to have your, your uh, cornea scratched. And he said, uh, yeah, it's like, it's up there with like childbirth. So I came home and told my wife that. Yeah, and you can imagine her reaction with me telling her, like, I was in pain like childbirth, right? And so let's just say I never said that again, and I never use that again, right? And so the first thing he says is there's going to be pain in childbirth. But here's the other thing he says is basically this. You're going to want to please your husband, and he's going to try to lord it over you. Your relationship prior to the fall is going to be marred now. There's not a change in your role, you guys are going to be distorted in how you carry out those roles now. Why? Because he is no longer going to be the humble, considerate leader. He's going to try to rule you with harshness, and he's going to misuse his authority, and you are going to be fighting against that now. Right? He says, it's now. And you know what it is? When you look at that marriage relationship, and I know a couple weeks ago Ezra preached about this, you think about the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one is equally God. Each one is separate and distinct in their roles and their responsibilities. But you can only have one of them lead at a time. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at his Father and says, I only do what my Father says. I'm obedient to him. Jesus humbly submits to his Father. You see it all over Scripture. And what do you see his father say about Jesus? His father's always like, have you seen my son? Look how great my son is. He loves pointing to his son. Jesus loves pointing to his father. And the Holy Spirit points to them both. That's what the relationship is supposed to look like. And so when you go to Ephesians, what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, that's what he's trying to get back what was lost in the beginning when he says... Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And women, submit to your husbands. Will you tell somebody that nowadays? Women submit, they're like, whoa. Like the fists come up, right? I don't submit to anybody. But you're misunderstanding what the scripture was. Jesus submits to his father, but his father doesn't lord it over him and try to misuse his authority over them. It is the ultimate loving relationship. That's broken. That's broken. And now there's just constant going at it in terms of the roles and the relationship right there. And so he says to the woman, he pronounces the judgment on the woman. And then he looks at the man and said, now because of you, cursed is the ground. Remember back in chapter 2 when you used to get your food from the garden? Now you're going to be toiling day and night to try to get your food. And the same ground that you came from is the same ground that's going to swallow you up now. Labor used to be a blessing and now it's going to be frustrating for you now. Cursed is the ground because of you and what you've done. And so we look at this and sometimes it's hard for us to process because we think, well, how would a loving God do this? Why couldn't God just forgive them? 
Why does he have to judge them? Right? Because when you look at the idea of justice, we love justice. What do we do when we see a child or someone maybe who is elderly or an animal being hurt? What do we want to be done? Justice, right? We demand justice. Turn on social media, right? People want justice all the time. They just don't like justice when it's about them, right? We love justice when it's not about us. And so what we do is we serve a holy God. The problem we struggle with justice is we think of the term revenge. Judgment is not revenge. Judgment is not revenge. And oftentimes we want revenge. I just got my windows done in my house in my basement. And we went online and found this provider. And he came and he did the windows. And then he sprayed this yellow foam around to sort of seal any spaces around the windows. And he said, I have to wait four or five hours for it to finish. And so I'll be back on Sunday. And I gave him the check. Dumb. I gave him the check for the job. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to see this cat again. And I haven't seen him since. I've called him. Oh, yeah, I'll be there on Tuesday or Wednesday. Never came. And they still haven't come out. Right? Still haven't. What do you think I want to happen? You think I want revenge? You think I want to tell you right now who this is? Not in this church, by the way, okay? It's not in this church. You think I want, you want to tell you who this is that did this? And I want to go into social media and do all these things? Revenge. Revenge, right? See, the problem is I judge sinfully. I judge unrighteously. I, don't, I want to get somebody back for what they did for me. Or what we do is we look at God the same way and we think that when something bad happens to us, God is trying to get me back because, you know, I lied last week and he's trying to stick it to me and get me back. That's where our minds get because we don't understand what judgment is. Judgment is the loving thing to do. What judgment means is you see something and you make a decision. And what God does is God does that according to himself. He is the standard by which all things are judged. And so when you look at that, we would see, for example, if somebody harms your family member and you go to court and the judge says to them, all right, I'm just going to let you go. Just don't do it again. You would be like, that's not fair. That's not a righteous judge. So the righteous thing to do, the right thing to do for a judge is he has to judge. And so God looks at us and he sees that we have broken his commandment. And so he must judge. He has to judge. And that's what he's done right there. But God also judges to restore. Because he kept telling the Israelites, if you keep turning away from me, I'm telling you what's going to happen. And sure enough, the Babylonians came in, destroyed everything, and took a remnant back. But what did God do through that? He restored them. God judges to restore. And you remember that. Because the good thing is that God judges and that we can look and know that everything will be made right in the end. And that people will be held accountable for what they do now. That's the God that we serve. And so in the first few verses, we see God's judgment. The question is, where is his love? Where do we see his love? Look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that, every, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so the next thing that Adam does is he chooses a name for his wife, and he calls her Eve, which means mother of all living things. And in that right there, Adam is demonstrating faith that, the, that this seed is going to come from her because she is the mother of all living things. And so what God does is God kicks them out of the garden. But before he does it, he closed them. Now remember, when it was last chapter, the chapter before, what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? When God's looking, he's like, where are you? What were they doing? They were hiding, right? And then they were covered themselves with what? Fig leaves. You see what sin does? When we sin, it hide, we hide from God. We hide from God and we try to cover it up on our own. That was their attempt to try to cover what they had done. Let me just tell you right now, every religion is that right there with the exception of Christianity. Every religion, you are trying to cover your self. And Christianity is the only one that's different. Why? Because what does God do? God kills an animal, sheds the blood, and then covers them. Let me say it again. God sheds blood to cover them. What do you think that's pointing forward to? And so God has to cover them himself because what they've done cannot be covered on their own. Who do you think he's pointing to with that? Blood must be shed. And so he sends them out the garden and he places these angelic beings called the cherubim and a flaming sword to prevent them from going and eating from the tree of life. Why? Because you imagine in their sinful state now, they lived forever. So God has pronounced judgment on them. He sends them out but he gives them a hug before he sends them. He's still caring for them in the midst of this right now. And so they go out to work the ground. God is still watching over them. And you see, now the story begins. And we see what happens in the slow decline of man after that, which we're going to see in the upcoming weeks of what happens as a result of what they have done. We see it. And so now, here are the results of the fall. Righteousness, lost. Separated from God. The environment is cursed. Physical death has been introduced in the world, and now clothing is needed. Although in some cases, that might be a good thing. Clothing is now needed, right? This is the results of the fall. The question is, how is God going to fix this? What's he going to do? How does God bring forth justice? Because he's got to judge it. He brings forth justice and wrath 
on sin, but yet how does he still remain loving in the meantime? What is he going to do? Where do you see both at the same time? Well, I'll tell you what he did. God looked at our situation and said, you know who sinned? Man sinned. But you know who is the only one to be a sacrifice for sin and perfect is God. And so whoever this is that comes has to be fully God and fully man together. And so you see that God literally comes and says, you can't fix yourselves, right? You're going to try to sew fig leaves together and you're going to hide. But you can't fix what you've done. I have to fix it for you. God literally steps into our world as a man and he takes the punishment and the wrath against sin on himself. That's the story of the gospel. So when you see Jesus Christ, you're looking at God taking the punishment on himself. It is the ultimate love story. And we are looking at it from the very beginning and understanding why Christ, who was the scripture pointed to back then, came to do what he did. That's the gospel message that we need to share with people. That is the gospel message. That's what the Bible is about. God's love for us where he took it upon himself to make things right that were wrong. And so what John says in his gospel, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And the beautiful part is he did it while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for us to fix ourselves up. He came in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our desire to want nothing to do with him. That's when he came and he gave his life for us. When you see his judgment against Satan, when he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, that's Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when you place your faith, what you are saying is, God, I have also turned against you. And I believe that I'm the one that actually should take the punishment. But I see what you did with your son and how you sent your son to take my place. I confess I sin, and I believe that Christ died for me, and I want that forgiveness, Father. That's what we believe. There's nothing you can do except receive the gift of salvation and what Jesus Christ has done. Stop trying to sow fig leaves and cover yourself up and to make yourself right. And let God do it for you because that's what he's done with his son. You know how often Satan tried to stop Jesus? You know, when he was born, what did he do? Herod goes around trying to kill all the children. Judas tries to betray him. Peter even says, I'll never let you die. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. The three temptations. Again and again and again, Satan is trying to stop Jesus. He'd been trying to do it in the very beginning. And you see when Christ comes, now he's turning up the heat. He's really trying to stop this from coming. How do you think Satan felt when he sees Christ dying? Right? You think he's ecstatic? But the very thing that happened to Jesus, his death on the cross and being beaten, was the very thing that God was using to bring forth salvation. Let me just tell you this right now. You can't outsmart God. You can't outsmart God. And so what he does, he puts the cherubim there, 
the flaming swords to guard because now they're no longer in the sanctuary of God. And when Christ is on the cross, the veil that was in front of the Ark of the Covenant had torn in two. That was the sanctuary that was now open to people. And so now what was lost in the beginning and no access to the sanctuary, we now have access to the sanctuary to restore our relationship with God that we had lost. And now we have access to the tree of life. And we do that because of Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he's done for us. Christ created the world. It was by him. It was for him. It was through him. And now he is the same one to actually save the world through his blood. And we see that. And so what does that mean for us? The first thing is this, is that Jesus Christ undoes the results of sin. He's the one that makes it right. Because you look at our world today, relationships are marred. The ground is cursed. Work is frustrating. We see disharmony on the earth. And man will now die when he was never meant to die. I went to visit my father the other day at um, Anne's Choice and you're just walking around in the retirement community and your heart breaks and you're seeing all the different ways our bodies are just failing. And I couldn't help but think that God looks at that and says, it was not supposed to be like this. And so Christ came to restore what we had lost in the very beginning. Judgment is going to come. All of us are going to face judgment and stand in front of God one day. The question is, does God see you in your sin with your fig leaf trying to cover it up yourself? Or does God see his son? Only Jesus can restore us back to the image that we were meant to mirror in the very beginning. And so Jesus undoes the results of sin. And the second is, what does it mean to live in God's mercy and grace? Do you feel distant when you sin? You feel like God is saying to you, where are you? And we're trying to hide ourselves and cover ourselves up. And we feel that distant. But even in the midst of our sin, we see his love because he sent his son while we were sinners. Not until you got yourself all cleaned up. And so when I sin now, what it means is I can actually come before the throne of grace and say, God, forgive me. I failed again today. I need your mercy and I need your love because that's the God that we serve. Even though he must bring forth justice and he must judge, I still know that I can go to him on a daily basis and repent. That's what it means to have daily repentance. That's what it means for my daily relationship with the Father is I don't have to ask forgiveness for salvation. That's a one-time thing. But I go to him every day for repentance because I'm no longer afraid of him and hiding from him. I go to him and I confess I confess because I want to restore the relationship that I now have to him and the access that I now have. The beauty of the cross is what God did through it. And it's the intersection of his justice and his love and restoring all things that lost. And we've seen it in the garden and now we see it in the cross.